I am glad that you have joined us by podcast. It's just great to have people listening. And I want to remind you again that uh, if you were unable to get a hold of an outline, your outlines will be on Facebook and available every Friday. But I'm glad that you're here. I speak to the family of Crossroads Fellowship, but I know that there are others that may be listening, and we're delighted that you've joined to be with us as well this morning. This morning, we're going to be looking at God's Word in a way maybe that you have not thought about, a passage of Scripture that has some extremely great meaning for us. We're going to start out a little different this morning, and we're going to start with prayer. And I hope that you have your outline because we'll begin there just as soon as we have our prayer. Father, as we come together to hear your word this morning, we confess that we have taken for granted the blessing and the joy of corporate worship. It was David who said, Oh Lord, I love the habitation of your house. He also said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And Father, we can understand now maybe a little better our brothers and sisters who live in places where they are forbidden to meet publicly. Now we understand that a little better. And Father, I pray that it will not be long until we can meet as a family again. And as we hear your word this morning, I pray that as you spoke this those many years ago in the synagogue, I pray, Father, that we will understand that you're speaking it again today just for us. So I pray, Father, for us at Crossroads, us that are listening, I pray, Father, that we will today realize you have a word for us. And we will listen and we'll obey. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I hope you have your Bible and you will have it each time as we proclaim God's Word. But we're going to begin, we're going to back up and give some background before we get to actually the text that we're going to be looking at. But on your outline, that first bullet, I want you to write the Father's Affirmation. The Father's Affirmation. That's in Luke 3, verse 22. And here's what the verse says. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And the voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Now you know that scene in your mind. That's the baptism of Jesus Christ. And you hold on to what I just said because I'm going to come back and quiz you in just a minute. But I want you to remember that. This is the verse that is about his baptism. And after his baptism, the Bible says that gives us the genealogy. In Luke 3, verses 20 through 38, the genealogy of Jesus. And it traces his earthly lineage all the way back to Adam. And then it says in verse 38, chapter 3, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, And the Son of God. Did you get that? Adam was the Son of God in a human sense. Now the second bullet, I want you to write this in. I want you to write in the Holy Spirit's demonstration. 
the Holy Spirit's demonstration. And that's in Luke 4, verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Now that verse says the same says that the same Holy Spirit that descended like a dove at his baptism now fills Jesus. Now every one of us has an idea of what being full of the Holy Spirit is all about. And our reference of that just sort of goes the gamut from somewhere of speaking in tongues to having supernatural t- uh, touch of God on everything in our life. Whatever your idea or my idea of being filled with the Spirit is, it usually culminates in a life that is like getting on a cloud and floating off into glory. No problems, no pain, just living above it all. But I want you to notice the first thing that happened when Jesus Christ, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness, and He was led into the wilderness to be tempted, verse uh, 2 tells us. By the devil. Temptation is certainly not my idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now I told you to remember something a while ago. and You probably already forgot it. But I'm going to remind you what I told you to remember. What was the last thing Jesus said before the genealogy? You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Now fix that in your mind. The third bullet there. I want you to write this in. The devil's temptation. And that's what we see in Luke 4, beginning in the third verse. The devil will tempt Christ three times in these verses. I want you to look at the first temptation. Luke 4, verse 3 says, The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Notice, if you are the Son of God. What had God just told? What had God the Father just told his son, Jesus Christ, days before. In Luke three twenty two, he says, You are my beloved son. Satan knows that he can begin to cripple me if I begin to doubt, if he can get me to doubt my identity. Two of the three temptations that Satan says, If you are the son of God. If you are the son of God. If Satan had the nerve to question Jesus Christ, where does that leave me? Satan will question you. Whatever God says to you, Satan will question it. When God gives you joy and excitement in your relationship with Christ, Satan will fill you with fear and discouragement and regret. When God gives you boldness, Satan will give you fear and intimidation. When God gives you His precious promises, Satan will give you doubt. Let me give you a personal application for this on your outline. There on number one, when God speaks to you, the devil will always question you. Fill that in. He'll always question you. Did God really say that? You cannot allow the devil to question you. If you listen to the Holy Spirit of God, He will affirm who you are and remind us of the promises of God. Let me give you a second thing there. Satan usually tempts God's children in a religious perspective. The devil doesn't wear a red suit and have horns and a pitchfork. I want to tell you, there's no smoke rising up around him either. He is much more suave than that. For the child of God, the devil usually cushions his approach from a religious perspective to get our attention. 
Now, after these things, these events that we've just talked about in the wilderness, in the first 13 verses of Luke 4, Jesus has a a successful ministry. And he talks about that in Galilee. And if you go back in the other uh, passages of the Gospels, you'll read this. This too was one of the signs of being filled with the Spirit of God. You have the power of God. And so many things happened as Jesus Christ was there proclaiming the Father. When the prophet, Jesus Christ, goes back to his hometown in Nazareth, I want you to notice what happens. That begins there in verse 17. Now he had been doing all these miraculous things out in Galilee, but now he's coming back to Nazareth. He's a hometown boy coming back to his hometown. And everybody knows what's been going on because they've been hearing it. Now listen to Luke 4, verse 18 through 19. Follow in your Bible. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And then verse 19, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now on your outline, this is Jesus' message. Jesus' message. Let me read that verse 18 again from one translation. It says, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And another translation says, to set the burdened free. Now right about there, all the amens, praise the Lord, and hallelujahs begin. It's going to be wonderful. There they are in the synagogue. Now let me tell you about the synagogue. It's not like our churches. You don't stand on a platform and speak to all the people out in front of you. They sit on benches all around the edge of uh, the place where they were meeting there in the synagogue. And so what happens when they come... Jesus Christ is back and they're praising all that he's done and they know what all he's done and they're just excited about it. And he says that he has come to proclaim in verse 19, the year of the Lord's favor. In other words, this is the time when the Lord's favor is getting ready to come. It is time God's, it is God's time to act. And I want you to look at what is going to happen right here. Uh, where Nazareth is and where he grew up. And they're so excited about this. They can hardly imagine what's going to happen uh, now that he is there. Look at verses 20 and 21. And he rolled the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. Now when Jesus walked in, it was an honor to get him to read Scripture from the scroll. So he read Scripture from the scroll. And the Bible says that when he had finished reading that, he rolled a scroll back and gave it to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue around that room were fixed on him. And verse 21 says, and he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You believe that? To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he says, today that's happened in this place. And then in verse 22, the Bible says, And all spoke well of him. And they marveled at the gracious words that were coming out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? 
This Joseph's son, the carpenter, is this not his son that's here? Jesus. He grew up. He went away and he did all those things. And now we're hearing about it right here in Canaan of Galilee, how he is going to do this right here in his hometown of Nazareth. Isn't this wonderful? What a wonderful morning they were having. I can imagine in that first synagogue of Nazareth that they were being to think, we're going to run out of space with this kind of man here speaking to us. We'll probably need to add on some space. But now put that on hold and go down to verse 28 and 29 of Luke 4. When they heard these things, all of the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. Let me paraphrase that. Those two verses. They had a quick business meeting. They raised Jesus up and they wanted to march him out and kill him. What happened between verse 22 just two minutes ago, or three at the most, that they were speaking so great about great things about him. They were shouting, Amen, preach it, brother, and so on. What has happened? Now, what has happened is relevant to you and I this morning, and that's what I want you to get. So you hang on. Number two, the story. And I want you to listen to the story. This is so vital to us where we are right this morning in Trigg County or wherever we might be. Verses 18 and 19, I want to read them again. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and to recovering of sight to the blind and set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now I want to ask you, is there anyone in the world who wouldn't love this scripture? It is so wonderful, so encouraging. Don't you just love to hear these passages? This was a passage from Isaiah that Christ was uh, giving to them, reading to them. And it was wonderful and it's encouraging. And we love to hear those kind of words. But there's just one sentence under point number two. And I want you to get this. Hearing in our frame of reference. Now, what does that mean, Kent? Well, now listen carefully, and I'll tell you what that means. We hear in what is called our frame of reference. You and I can hear the same words that someone speaks, but it's always filtered through my experiences. What is going on in my life? I want to share with you what could have happened Now, you just write this down or put this in your mind. What could have happened that day as Jesus got up and read from Isaiah chapter 61? Sitting over here, maybe to Jesus' right as he was reading, is a rabbi. He's a businessman. He's the rabbi of the church of Nazareth. He owns a grocery store down the street in Nazareth. This grocery store has been a place where a bunch of blind folks have been hanging out. As, those, as they did in those days. Blind people are poor. 
They beg for alms. And every morning when he comes to the store, he wishes to God that they would get away from his front porch and store. It's hurting business. As people would walk into the store, they had to walk through this bunch of of, uh, blind people hollering, alms, alms, alms. And it was hurting his business. That morning, sitting in the synagogue, in his mind, he says, if I could just get those blind beggars away from the front porch of my store, it would be a wonderful thing. What even makes it worse is that some of these blind beggars are Gentiles. What a mess he has. Everyone who comes to the store has to wade through all this. He's begging people, begging for alms. The store's been good to his family. It is, he has raised and educated his children and now sales are off. Kent, is that in this story? Yeah, I'm telling it so I can tell it the way I want to. You just listen. This rabbi businessman, a store owner, goes to church that morning and he just can't keep his business off of his mind. So in the middle of his heavy thoughts, like sunshine breaking through the clouds, he hears a sentence like this. He has sent me so the blind can recover their sight. Right there in the middle of all that, this dignified rabbi would have jumped up and shouted hallelujah if he hadn't been so dignified. Here is the answer to his problem. Jesus is going to give the blind sight in Capernaum. Why, he can, he can do it in Nazareth? I know he can do it here because he's done it before. And he said he would here. I won't have this problem anymore. I'll get my store back. Oh, happy day. Isn't it great to have the hometown boy, Jesus, back home? Over on the other side of the room, there's an elder. He's a councilman in Nazareth. Lately, he's been pressed with a problem. The city officials have locked up a lot of local Gentiles. The jail's full. Those Gentiles are rebel rousers, you know. And the burden of maintaining a jail and a jailer is heavy on the taxes of the city. Every time he gets around the jailer, the jailer begins to bug him for more space. We need more space. More space means more taxes and more jailers. And the city budget's already pressed beyond measure. And nobody dares raise taxes. This city and the elder deacon has a problem, a big problem. The elder cannot get it off his mind even in church. And through the fog of his problems, he hears this sentence that Jesus says. And he has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners. Oh, praise God, he thinks to himself. Here is the answer to my problems that, this, that has bugged me for months. Jesus is going to straighten those Gentiles out. They'll be able to empty the jails. Oh, what a wonderful word. Isn't it great to have this Jesus back home? Well, there's one more there that I want you to see. Now, Nazareth is a beautiful city, but it has a flaw. It has a scar. There's a slum down in one part of the city. The worst thing about that slum is it sits on the main road coming into town, and everybody who comes into town sees it. Tell you something else about it. The slum is inhabited by Gentile dogs. They don't care anything about their place. It doesn't matter to them that it's run down or grown up. And the people are always needing something. 
some help of some kind. They need food or they need rent money or they need medical help. People just sitting in our church have wished the place could be cleaned up. And all of a sudden, they hear Jesus say, I have come to release the oppressed, the downtrodden. Boy, news has already arrived. Jesus fed 5,000 when he was there, before he got there. And now he says he's come with good news for the poor. Do you see why? The whole church is just saying amen and hallelujah and praise the Lord. Isn't it marvelous, wonderful, exciting to have this hometown boy right back here going to do all these things. He's going to clean up Nazareth. Well, their hopes were soon shattered. In fact, this whole message probably didn't take four minutes to preach. He preached most of it sitting down. And when he got through, they want to kill him. What happened? Well, number three, the truth. And I want you to see this because this makes all the difference in putting this together. I told you that we're here in what's called our frame of reference. Hearing is influenced by what ideals we fill our life and mind with. However, that masks the truth. I can preach the truth. You can read the truth. But only the Holy Spirit can impart truth. People often misquote, often misquote the verse found in John 8 verse 32. What they'll say is the truth will make you free. That's not what that verse says. World's full of truth and people are not free. Some of you rub against truth every day and you're not free. You're bound by habits in the past and by your choices. The verse says, and you shall know the truth and the truth you shall know makes you free. It's a truth you know that makes you free. You have to know it. Well, what happened here? Let's look at it. That's exactly what verse 23 is all about. These people were thinking, Jesus is going to straighten all this out. You're going to heal these blind people. You're going to get those people out of prison and you're going to clean up the town. You've done it somewhere else. Do it here. We heard about you helping the oppressed. We're looking forward to you doing it here. We heard about you feeding all those people. Do it here. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. And that included Jesus Christ. What that means is they're not welcomed. You see, Jesus knew exactly what they were thinking that day in church. Boy, that frightens you, doesn't it? It does me. It's a scary thought. Jesus was a true prophet. And as a true prophet of God, there's some things I want you to see. A true prophet never speaks to the people who are not there. I just wonder how many preach sermons I've preached on a Sunday to people who weren't even there. And then second... Not only does the true prophet never speak to the people who are not there, the true prophet has real insight to the people who are there. Now, Jesus really preached a short sermon, as I said a moment ago. He's already given it back to him. He's sitting down and they're looking at him. And he gives two illustrations. First in Luke 25 and 26. Look at it. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land. And then verse 26 says, And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, 
to the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. Now, widows are poor folks, real poor folks. And there were a lot of Gentiles in Zarephath and of Sidon. It was a Gentile village, a Gentile town. She was poor and a Gentile. Jesus is saying there were a lot of people who were poor in Elijah's time, but my father only sent Elijah to one person. Well, every sermon ought to have two illustrations, so he has a second one. And it's down in verse 27. Follow along in your copy of God's Word as to what this says. I want you to see it. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Now you guessed it. Naaman was a Gentile. You'll remember that story. There were many who needed healing. Many had leprosy. But only God only sent Elisha to one Gentile, and that was Naaman. When these Jews sitting in the synagogue heard this, they got fired up. They got angry, angry enough to kill. You see, the Scripture never bothers anybody because every one of us interpreted to our frame of reference. Someone said a long time ago, Scripture doesn't bother people. It's the interpretation of Scripture that bugs people. These two illustrations are all Jesus said. What was it that made these people so angry? Well, listen. Number four, I want you to hear the people's reactions. That passage in Luke 4, 28 through 29, I want you to see why they got so angry. They understood exactly what Jesus was saying. To the rabbi who was so upset with the blind Gentile beggars messing up his business, Jesus was saying, it's not the blind beggars. It's not those Gentiles who I've come to give sight to. It's not the beggars in your storefront that are the only blind. You are blind, full of greed, full of prejudice, blind with self-centeredness, blind with your religiosity. It's you I want to give sight to. You're blind. When God's Word is proclaimed, His Bible read, we often think about everybody else who needs to be changed. For most people, spiritual renewal means God changing my spouse, changing my children, changing the people around me, God changing my church, God changing my nation. But very seldom do we drop our head and hear ourselves say, God, I need to be changed. I need reviving. All of a sudden, the elder councilman woke up to realize that Jesus wasn't talking about the local Gentiles in jail. The elder was a prisoner. He was bound, bound by tradition, bound by fear, bound by don't rock the boat. I believe some of the most bound, blinded people in churches today are people who come to our churches on Sunday, Sunday after Sunday, and sit and listen, sing the praises, but never move past their own agenda. They want more prosperity in our economy. They want the streets cleaned up. They want bad people made good. And God says it's not the people on the outside, it's the people on the pew. Goodness, that are on the inside. They're bound. That need to be free. They need to be free. 
Nobody minds preaching if it's going to change my spouse or my kids or my neighbors, but it sure upsets me when it chops at my, the roots of my very standing. Listen, I have no right to pray for God to change this, the others outside unless I first allow God to change me. What would happen that what would have happened that day if the rabbi had said, those blind Gentiles are not the problem. I'm the problem. I need to be changed. What would have happened if the elder had said, the Gentiles are not the problem, it's me. I need to be set free from all my hang-ups. Nazareth slums can be changed. Those people can be helped in their oppression. But it's not Jesus' job, it's my responsibility. Oh God, I need revival. What would have happened that day? Now comes the tough part in this message. I want you to see the application. This morning, do you really want the truth of God's Word? Or do you want to keep hearing it in your frame of reference? It's your response to truth that either invites or rejects God. Would you be willing to say, I'm blind. I'm the bound. I'm the problem. I need to be revolutionized for God. Psalms 57 verse 10. For your mercy reaches into the heavens and your truth into the clouds. God's truth does not goes up to the clouds, but His grace and His mercy goes past the clouds into the heavens. In our experience, His mercy far exceeds His truth. Now, if we're going to be like Jesus Christ, the mercy that flows through us is going to have to far exceed the truth that flows through us. Listen, I'm going to tell you, I'm heavy on truth. I'm heavy on truth. I know about it. You do me wrong. I know if I've been done wrong. When somebody does me wrong, I know it immediately. But mercy, that's another story. God, I'm the problem in my family. I need changing. I'm the problem at crossroads. I need changing. Things would change in my family, in my life, in my church if I met you in a new way this morning. Oh God, I need your mercy right now. I'm the problem. I need to extend your mercy to others. What are you going to do with what you've heard this morning? In Acts 2, the Holy Spirit filled the people and flames like fire danced on their heads. In the second half of Acts 2, the Bible says the people sold their goods and shared with each other. We're poor. We have refused God's rich blessings because in disobedience we have chosen a carnal lifestyle. We're living on bread and water when we could have fed on filet mignon. We are prisoners bound by tradition, bound by our spiritual laziness, our sin, bound by our rights, bound by habits, bound by our hatred, our anger, bound by our fear. We are bound by guilt. We have no freedom. We're blind. 
blind to the fact that Christ has spoken to us and nobody else. He's speaking just to me. We've refused His leading, blind to the fact that we're sinful and so satisfied, blind in thinking it is everybody else's fault but ours. God wants to change. And I need to be changed. We are oppressed. It's not the slums. It's not the projects. Are the social justice, social outcasts that are oppressed. Child of God, a child of God trying to imitate righteousness on Sunday and live like the world on Monday is oppressed. The worst kind of oppression, misery. My prayer is that you, this day, as you've heard God's Word, would realize God has spoken to you. What a time that you and I live in today that we might be God's spokesman for the needs of people all around us now. But it's got to begin with us realizing God wants to change us. Would you allow that to happen? That's my prayer for Kent Workman. That's my prayer for you as well. Well, before we pray, let me finish with some things as I have the church's attention right now. It's evident that we're not going to be able to meet in a large group next Sunday, April the 5th. We hope that that would happen, but it's not going to. The elders and myself have chosen and believe that it's the right thing to do, that the family not come together in great groups this Sunday, this coming Sunday, April the 5th. And so we're calling our church family to recognize that and to honor that. But let me ask you to pray about something that is a possibility. And the possibility is of us having an outside service April the 12th on our property. We could stay at least six feet or 16 feet apart if we wanted to on that piece of land. Now the weather will be the unknown factor. Pray with us about this. You could even pull your car up maybe where you can hear and you won't even have to get out of your automobile uh, during this time. Let me also encourage you, continue to check on the needs of those around you and the needs of our church. Every Friday, you can get your outline by going to Facebook and printing it off so that you'll have it ready for the message at 10 a.m. promptly on Sunday morning on our podcast. Let me also encourage you, remind you to be faithful in your giving. I'm thankful that you are. I want to encourage you to continue to do so. Let's close with prayer. Father, in your mercy, we've asked you to stop this pandemic and to save the lives of our nation and around the world. Father, I ask you to protect your church here at Crossroads 
and around the world. Oh, I pray, Father, that we'll be able to worship together and it will not be long. I miss our family. And so, Father, I pray that you give wisdom to myself, to our elders, to your called servants who are wrestling with this all across this nation. Give us wisdom to keep our people safe, but also give us that ability to meet together where we can see the face, even if we do not touch them. We can see the faces of our church families. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.